Maybe we do need lyrics for our opening theme song. That's I think we can song. come up with some, yeah. I think, I, well, I think Adam just did. Hey, everybody. <laughs> You're listening to a Dyson Man. This is a podcast about board games, about the people that play board games, about the culture surrounding the hobby that is board games. I'm your primary host tonight. My name is Ryan Newell. I am a little low energy. Not too long ago, I was sleeping on my couch, but I <laughs> dragged myself to the computer because I know that everyone is just craving for our thoughts and opinions on board games. And with well, me and as... it's been a fortnight, right? And as soon as a fortnight comes, you know you have responsibilities because it's been a fortnight since the last show. That's true. I don't. I, we we made commitments to you, the listener, and I don't say listeners. I say listener. Uh, Adam, <laughs> Chad, you're with me as well. Say hi. Yo yo hi. Hey, everybody. So tonight's episode is a very special episode. It's going to be about game rounds, but I'm going to explain that a little bit later. Uh, it's not just about what a game round is. It's more about particular rounds in a game that we find of particular interest. But before that, we'd like to open the show with a question so you get to know the hosts a little bit better. And tonight's question is, what video game are you playing right now? Ooh. Ooh, video game? Why do you think we're just playing one? Couldn't we be playing more than one? What's That'd a video game or video games <laughs> that you're playing right now? I'm really only playing one, to be perfectly right. honest. So I've been playing the heck out of uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected, which is Diablo 2, a game from my younger adult days, um, uh, where, you know, it, it was awesome then and super addictive. And guess what? It's still awesome and super addictive. They pretty much just skinned it. Like the, it's it's the exact same game with some tiny like quality of life changes and then just better graphics. Everything is just superb graphics, actually. So there's not like new content or new levels or new weapons or items or anything. It's, it's legitimately the exact same game that looks better. Yeah, there's Thanks. like... They literally, uh, well, they added some things, like I said, like quality of life. Where they added some, uh, in, you have, I don't know if you're familiar with the game, but if you have, you have a treasure chest that you have to like store all your stuff in, but you have way more stuff than you can store. So people would make mule characters that are just around mm -hmm. to have more storage space. So they gave you like more storage. They give you like four tabs of storage kind of thing. Oh, okay. And they gave uh, the one thing you'd have to click on gold to pick it up. And now you can just walk over it to pick it up great especially if you're using a controller which i don't i use a mouse but if you're using a controller that's just such a quality of improvement little things like that here and there and then they also they do like you know i don't know if you like gamer terms i don't i don't i'm not i'm not one of those okay there's like two levels of diablo 2 player there's the ones who play the game go through the story enjoy it and like it and then there's people who it's a lifestyle they like you know grind eight hours a day trying to find loot and they share it and they purchase it for money and there's like whole websites devoted to just trading diablo loot and stuff and that's ridiculous and i don't like any of that but anyway <laughs> they they tweak the meta every now and then meaning like they up the certain characters get better or buffs or debuffs or whatever and the, you know things are different and uh so they keep doing that they they did that throughout the the old diablo 2 and now they they continue to like make little tweaks here and there to change and how the game whatever is and to players like me it changes nothing but right. to players yeah. like them, the tiniest, you know, this and that makes YouTube videos come out and uh, stuff about how, oh, now, you know, you don't just have to do a hammered in. There's other builds you can do and stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. I played uh, Diablo 3 um, more recently. And I remember you you play through, like, the campaign of that. There's, like, the storyline and you're fighting the big bad and all this other stuff. And 20, 30 hours in, you get to the end. And then it's like, now the game starts. I'm like, no, I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm I don't need to do this end the game grinding stuff that you guys are talking about, right? Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm very much the same way. 
That's like the same thing, except there's actually a middle level, right? In Diablo 2. Well, it's probably Diablo 3 too. I never played through that one. Um, I own it. I have. I've played it, but like for hours, not for like a lot. But yeah, they, you like play the whole game through and then on normal. And then it's like hell difficulty. The exact same game, exact same story, but now everything's tougher. So you have to go harder. And then when you beat that, you get to go to hell level, which is even more. So it's normal nightmare hell level. And it's just it's like, yep. Yeah, it's and then at... Oh, and after you keep doing hell, you just keep doing it again and again and again. And you get better loot and you do it again and again and again. You get better loot and you do it again and again and again. It's weird. You know, I was a big Blizzard fan because I liked Warcraft and I liked uh, Starcraft, but I never really played Diablo. I kind of watched it being played for a bit and I, it just looked grimy and brown and dark and just never appealed to me that game. Oh, yeah. It's it's grimy and, and full of blood. I don't know. Diablo 2, though, is it depends on where it starts out grimy and dark, and then there's bright, colorful levels, too. And mm. <laughs> there's all lots of blood. The cow level, right? Well, and hell is quite colorful. And right. uh, I don't know. Actually, the desert is quite colorful. There's lots of color, except for the first very You just have to play past area. the first level, right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I've been playing Triangle Strategy, um, which is great. It's uh, it's a game I've been looking forward to for quite a while, and it just came out a, a few weeks ago. It's basically for fans of Final Fantasy Tactics, and there's quite a few of them. And I'm a fan of Final of, Fantasy Tactics. Oh, great game. One of my favorite games in, in, on the original PlayStation, PlayStation 1. Um, I've finished it personally probably three or four times at probably 80 to 100 hours each. It is likely my most played video game. So when they announced Triangle Strategy, um, I was super psyched about it. And they've taken like the graphical style of Octopath Traveler. It's very pixel arty, but also like tilt shifty effect to it. So it looks like a really modern take on pixel art. But then they've applied like this strategy RPG game to it, which is really cool. And it has an amazing storyline. Um, it has some really cool battle effects and stuff. They've It's very much like Final Fantasy Tactics in a lot of ways, but they've added to it and kind of modernized it a bit. So I've been enjoying that. I'm about 10 hours into that. So every second has been enjoyable. A lot of cutscenes, a lot of voice acting, really, really good cutscenes and voice acting. But I was telling my friends after three hours, I had probably, I've, I'd played three hours and only about 20 to 30 minutes of that was actual gameplay. The rest was listening to dialogue and, and watching the, the scenes play out. But uh, now that I'm kind of into the thick of it, it's, it's a lot more interactive. Let me ask you about Final Fantasy for a second. Sure. Did you ever do that thing? Because I did it and it's funny because I just can't even imagine doing it now where you play the first like, you know, it's like the third battle or whatever again and again and again and again until you max out all your jobs and your characters oh yeah and yeah. then you like go through the game and it's weird because like the random fights are all based on your level so they're still super hard but the story right. fights are all just based on unless i have that reversed no, i'm no, not i no, can't even remember you're, that. you're right yeah the story fights are just like set so you just like breeze through the story fights but the random fights are actually still see the problem hard. the problem with final fantasy tactics was if you didn't do that and then you went into a story fight you would get destroyed because right. it expected you to be a certain level, which it didn't tell you about. And there was multiple times in Final Fantasy Tactics where you have to do the story fight. You have no option to go back on the map and grind levels and get your characters back up. I had to restart it several times because you get to a point and you're like, I literally cannot beat this level because I just hadn't spent enough time grinding. So I, I would never max out characters. I'd basically play until, you know, I felt comfortable with, you know. So you got the thing yeah. you wanted. Because right. there's like, I can't even remember the different paths, but there's like, oh, there's like, there's like 20, the summoner at the jobs. end, but it takes a ton of different jobs to get to. And right. then there was always one that was like the mimic or something where it just like repeats the last move of somebody else. Right. I can't remember. Right. There's weird, weird things when you get higher up in that game. Yeah. 
That sounds so frustrating to get to a level that you can't possibly beat. And I remember yeah, when I was a was. kid, when I was playing Super Nintendo, I'd get so angry. My parents wouldn't want me to like flip out, like throw the controller, or yell or anything like that. So I take the controller and I bug it. And my Super Nintendo controllers actually had bite marks in them because it's just like <laughs> that's how it got. So I could just imagine how stressed and angry and just wanting to like take the TV and smash it against the ground I would be at that age when PlayStation was. Well, it's out. after like sinking 20 hours into this game and you get to a point where you literally cannot proceed just because of the way the game was designed yeah super frustrating how about you and you right yeah well i pose this question even though i realize i'm not playing any video games right now but that's not quite true because i was going to say earthbound for um the switch because that's an old super nintendo uh role-playing game that got uh, finally put on the on a different nintendo platform but then i remembered i'm playing overcooked 2 again which is uh, a super, super fun cooperative game where the players have to collaborate together to create uh, meals against a timer. And some players will have access to some ingredients and they'll have to like throw them to the next person who's got access to a chopping block, who then throws it back to the person who has access to a frying pan. So it's just hectic. And then there's like, you know, fires and stuff like that that are happening at the same time. So it's a very, very fun game where you actually have to like actively communicate with each other because there's a lot of games like we were also playing Castle Crashers, but really that's just like, hit a and hack monsters but you don't have to like you could play the whole game silently you never have to tell anyone to do anything else whereas overcooked you're constantly telling people okay i need lettuce okay here i'm gonna throw you this uh chopped shrimp put it on the frying pan so i like overcooked a lot and if you play with three or four players especially and it's just like a madhouse that's yeah that's it's hectic that's for sure they need an overcooked three because that's probably been out for a while it really has uh, yeah i know just... there's some i think there's some dlc and stuff for for the second one at least anyway but yeah mm. but we're about due I think so. But what's the topic? Yeah. We're not here to talk about but video games. But you didn't come here to talk about <laughs> video games. You came here to talk about board games. Board games. And the topic tonight is game rounds. And I want uh, Chad to give a shout out to the podcast in whom we stole this from. Yeah. So every now and then I like to, you know, see what the community is doing, the podcasting community. And uh, this topic really stood out for me. Um, Tabletop Games Blog, um, which is a British podcast, they have kind of a combination blog slash audio uh, podcast, uh, had talked about this uh, probably a, only a day or two ago, where they're really bringing up the concept of like the end game of a board game. It always feels different, or, or there's like certain quirks to that particular phase of the game. And I thought we could take that topic and, and kind of run with it. And expand on it a little bit because we're going to not just do the end game. We're also going to do the start game. So tonight's show is about the first round of a board game and the last round of the board game. And right. sometimes the middle round of a board game. <laughs> but not tonight. Perhaps another show. And round seven. Occasionally. <laughs> Specifically round seven. Yeah. 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 Round seven is typically a spectacular round. But, you know, they do have different feels. The The first round and the, and the final round generally for a game feel quite different some of them even if it's a pretty simplistic game where like there's not a huge amount of ebb and flow to the game like one of them it does feel like you're building your engine or you're just starting up placing and taking territory and that kind of thing in the end game it's like that scramble for points or you know depends on the game how exactly it feels but they each do have more of a feel i think than those middle rounds on like particularly unforgiving games the first round can be like stupid uh, like you don't have a choice because you're like, well, right. everybody's going to do the optimal move. And if you don't, you're going to be behind for the rest of the game, right? The Starks better put that ship out to sea yeah. or <laughs> Otherwise, they are not taking the Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
Otherwise, the other guy just takes the sea, and then you can never get it back. And then, well, that's not even true because they have the ports later on. Yeah, well, fixed that, that be... right? It was the older version that didn't have the right. ports. That that was a big troublesome thing. But, but even without like the the Starks, um, you know, need to do this in the in the original game, there are games where you have to sort of set the stage, right? Because that's really what that first round in Game of Thrones. Be, continuing that example, it's it's all setting the stage for your future moves. And it's about a lot of gamesmanship because you're kind of really watching what those other players are doing. So for a competitive game like that, where it's like map control, you're really watching, okay, well, each player starts in a region. Oh, they just chose the region next to them closer to me. And that really sets up what those next number of rounds are going to feel like in that type of game. Yeah, I think some area control games are better at that than other games like uh one example that comes to mind uh, when i'm thinking about this is like twilight imperium generally everyone's in their own little separate corner of the map and generally and this is true in scythe as well your first round or two is just going to be conquering those neighboring territories you might start leaning in one direction over the other depending on the objectives or or how much of a threat you think your neighbor is and stuff like that but it's almost to the point, and I think this is more true in Scythe because the game or the board is very static. It's not a dynamic board like it is in Twilight Imperium. You can literally script the first two or three turns. Like it doesn't make sense for you to do anything other than putting a worker here and building something over here and moving your mech this way, right? Like anything else would put you in a worse position, like Adam. You, you almost think the designer, if that happens, like if you find that, oh, there's an optimal move that everybody should do at the first part, the designer should just start the game from there then. Just right. be like, you know what? Here's where your starting position is instead. But like, start with the first time it's like a real choice. Like, okay, right. now you pick picking, are you going to go that way? Are you going to try and rush for Mechatol Rex? Not, not that Twilight Imperium is like that, because honestly in Twilight Imperium, I think it's dynamic enough that usually, yeah, your first round is still about just building up, but it is exactly that. Some people are going to be like, I'm going to get, you know, the whatever the tech is that lets you go faster and whatever, because I am going to charge for Mechatol Rex round two kind of thing. Right. Well, so the, reason that Twi- there. the reason that Twilight Imperium has a more dynamic map, though, than a game like Scythe, because Scythe is played on a board and right. Twilight Imperium is played on a, a series of tiles that is set up. But you can play a pre-generated map, like a recommended map. And with the recommended map, at least in the third edition, I can't remember if it's in the fourth, you can actually do quick start rules where you simulate those first round or maybe even two rounds and actually claim those neighboring planets and whatnot because that's just the natural progression that you would make. Um, You don't have to play it that way, but you can because that's 95% of the time, that's probably what the player is going to do is just go claim the resources in the neighboring planets. So in that one, it is very much about setting the stage, but setting the stage almost like to such a subtle degree and with like so little player choice outside what makes the most sense that it, it kind of almost is just almost a wasted round in a lot of sense that's not not with a random map though with a random or not a random map not with a player generated map though because then you might be setting up the map to do particularly th- particular that's things particular things said though at the same time if you take that away you're almost taking away the introduction to the game which for seasoned players, people that have played Twilight Imperium a dozen times or Scythe a dozen times, it doesn't matter at all. But if this is the very first or second or third time I'm sitting down to play this game, it's good to have that little bit of space, right? Where, I mean, obviously this is a high value thing. This is how I move my workers here to claim this thing, or this is how I move here to build something, right? So it's almost like a built-in tutorial in a way, which is good for new players i i 100 agree that if you're seasoned veterans of, of the game you're playing and it's just obvious moves that you're doing in the first two rounds then 
save yourself half an hour, right? And you know, that's kind of true of other games with their opening rounds too. I'm thinking of like Agricola where it's a worker placement game and over the course of the game, more and more action options open up to place your meeples. And so in that one, that opening round is really limited in terms of what you can do. And, right. um, you know, you're going to either build a fence or you're going to buy some feed for the cattle or whatever you're going to do. And like with engine builders too, I think there's sort of like a limited number of things that you would possibly do on your first turn, but you got to get that engine going, that economic or resource engine going at the outset. And so it's usually pretty standard turns. No one's going to surprise you with what they do in a first round in almost any game, but you're right. That is almost sort of like getting your toes wet into the game. I think that's why that game, A Feast for Odin, is kind of intimidating because, yeah. you know, you don't have that like, oh, you know, there's only a few options and then the options grow and grow. It's like, okay, your first round, boom, here's 40 options. What are you going to do? It's like, oh, what can I do? Any of these? Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, <laughs> okay. You know, it's just like, you know, especially to, to non-experienced gamers, that's like, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what that's, that's definitely a huge part of it. And I think it's it can be, and, and I think in a lot of cases, it is a conscious design choice to say, you know what, let's let's open slowly. Let's kind of reduce the decision space at the beginning of the game. And then a thing I love about Agricola is that your strategy can change based on the actions that come out every round and the order in which they come out. Because the first the first year, there's always the same actions, but the, the order in which they're exposed changes and can change your core strategy so much, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing, like you're, you know, even though I'm saying that there's like limited options you can do, I don't, I don't want to paint it that like every first round is useless in a game because you are setting yourself up and really some, with some games, depending on how punishing they are, you can really lock yourself into a losing strategy right off the start, depending on what your choices are. I, I don't remember how this happened to me, but I remember the game Power Grid First Sparks, which is a Power Grid game that takes place in like caveman, caveman times. And in the very first round, I can't remember what my actions were, but I did this and then I did that. And then I realized after that, I couldn't do anything else for the rest of the game. <laughs> so I like broke the game with the, and I kept looking back. I was like, did I do everything correctly? Yeah, I did. There's nothing in the rules that said I couldn't do what I did, except for now I am just sitting and watching because I couldn't generate enough income to do another action for the rest of the game because of my choices with my first two actions. Right. So it was wicked punishing. That's actually one of the things I hate about Food Chain Magnate. Like, I enjoy the concept of that game and, and the implementation of that game, but it has milestones, right? Milestones are the things like if you're the first person to throw out a burger, you get this game bonus for the rest of the game. But the opening almost becomes like chess where like, and, and we were talking a little bit about this, where like if you don't do one of these known openings in this high high strategic game, you're going to have a bad time. Unless everyone else is also screwing up, which is unlikely, you're just going to sit there and watch everyone else play the game <laughs> once, once you're into it. And Food Chain Magnet is particularly punishing when it comes to stuff like that. But yeah, there's, there's a few games where if you're going into it as a novice and I actually like, I really don't like games like that where a, a person has to go into there knowing the meta, kind of knowing what makes sense as an opening move or else they're not going to enjoy themselves, right? It, maybe it, it sort of depends there because if all the players are new to everything and don't know what's coming up, then it's totally fine. And it's like, oh, it's like a discovery game together. It only sucks when like one person knows the meta right. or however you want to say it. And the other person doesn't. And it's like, oh, you know, like, what's the, uh, 
the twilight uh, struggle and it's like one right, person's yeah. really good at it and the other person has oh it's my first game it's like you don't have a chance right yeah just well you you won't know what what, to play. what about a game like uh uh letters from Whitechapel, where the first move is like i'm gonna decide where i think as i recall i'm gonna decide where my hideout is and that's gonna basically be where they're searching for for the rest of the game right they're trying to narrow mm-hmm. down that's kind of an interesting move because there's a lot of weird stress but realistically it's probably not that important do you know what i mean like in the grand scheme of the game it's, eh, it's who cares where you put it probably maybe there's a better strategy that i don't know about but yeah there's there's probably places that are less obvious or more obvious than others on that map i would say but yeah it's it's an interesting thing where like you're making a very large decision as literally the first thing you do in that game right and then the rest of your game is based on the fact that you've made that very first decision trying to you know redirect people away from it and 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 do all your moves as jack the ripper to to lead the police in in opposite directions but yeah you you open that first round with that huge decision so I'm looking around at my library. I have this library of games surrounding me at about a uh, 75 degree angle here. And I'm trying to figure out which of these games has my favorite opening round. Do you, either of you have like an answer to that or just a game that you just love the opening round for? I do have an answer. So if you guys need to think about it, I'll give you some time. You, you I need start. to think about it. War of the Ring. I really love the first round in War of the Ring, even though it's another one of those where you're kind of just like slowly building up, you're going to have to, you know, it's it's the uh, the free peoples of uh, Middle Earth against the forces of Mordor. Two player game can be played with four, but it's generally a two player game. And um, it's there's kind of Axis and Allies feel to it in some ways where there's like a lot of military combat, but then there's also some sort of like more thematic narrative elements to the game too and and it feels like the start of the big epic story like you're leaving the shire and all that kind of thing so it really gets me into the theme of the game quite a bit that opening round but it also sets you up a lot in terms of like okay well which path are sam and frodo going to take to try and get to mordor and dunk the ring are they going to go through the mines of moria or are they going to bypass that and go this way and it's all secret movement so the other player is trying to figure out what they might be doing too or you start doing that brinksmanship cold war kind of thing where you're each building up your military and you're like seeing where on the map they're building up the military. So just there's so much that goes into that opening round in terms of like one-upsmanship and brinksmanship, but also like just setting the tone for the rest of the game. So war, like when I looked around, I just looked at all the games as like easy answer, war of the ring. That's my favorite opening round. And it does such a good job of um, all of the themes of of the trilogy um, oh, or yeah. the book series. It does a spectacular job of not only capturing the, the opening of that entire epic saga in, in the game, but all the other hit, hits in the movie as well, or the series. I don't have an answer for opening round, honestly. <laughs> I was kind of looking around, and honestly, Letters from Whitechapel might be one of my answers for that, because uh, like Adam said, I, I didn't even consider it before your comment, but you make well, such a big decision at the beginning there right it's not traditionally a game that you think of in rounds so yeah it's right. not one that i would have thought of either okay if you can't answer what's your favorite one then tell me which one that you think stinks in opening oh. round or or, <laughs> or stinks is maybe not the right word but you know like i really like one that's maybe like chat like you just wish was different and wish like gave you more options or anything like that i'm putting you both on the spot on the spot here. you 100 percent are <laughs> i'm still gonna I, I i said it already but i'm just gonna repeat uh, Feast for Odin is kind of a weird opening round, right? Because it's just like there's, you know, I can't remember what the number it is, but it's something like 40 different options and they're all good. And you really could take any of them off the start. Like it's kind of like, oh, maybe you want to hunt first to get some more whatever stuff. But like it's 
it's a lot it's an overwhelming amount of options without a real like well how am i going to play this you have no hints either because right. everybody starts the same in that game oh that's not true you have you cards have set up yeah there's some cards that say like you know hey maybe this one says and they're all random so some are good some are bad some are better than others but you might have one that says like hey you know you can get something that like gives you extra actions if you you know mine stuff more and so you're like okay right. well i'm gonna focus on mining this game then that's it though like that's all you can have other than that it's like i don't know pick anyone go with it Be, <laughs> you know whatever so that yeah is, that's a that's a hard a hard opening move it's a very uh sandboxy game that one for sure because there's so many different paths you can go down for a strategy and still end up with a decent amount of points um well in in that sense it's kind of a forgiving game too because it right. doesn't matter which one you choose which i don't know if that's any better but it's like you're not going to kill yourself by making the wrong first move either right but you also have 40 options to choose so I don't know. <laughs> and it gives you opportunities to pivot too right mm -hmm. like if if you're yeah. two or three rounds in and you realize that you're just not getting the things you need to to continue your strategy you've got 38 other options to choose yeah. from. Right? And, and everything you were doing was still making you points so it's right. you know not that it's point salad but it's it's, there's lots of different ways to make points in that game, so it doesn't really matter. I think I have an answer. It's for both best and worst opening round. Decrypto. Mm. You guys remember that game, the team versus yep. team word guessing game? Yep. Um, it's interesting because I think it's the worst opening round because it's really hard to teach that game. Like it's really hard to like verbally explain how the game works without showing someone how the game works. So almost every single time I teach that game, I'm like, you're on this team, someone on your team knows what to do, or, or you're on my team, just watch what we do. I'll, we'll tell you when you have to do something. But at the end of that first round, it clicks. Like you, you can see those new players go, oh, okay, this makes sense now, I understand. And it's it's weird because it's bad because it's you can't go into that with knowledge. It's just so uh, such a hard concept to teach. But at the same time, it does such a good job of like demonstrating how the game works. So that pros and cons on both. It's funny because it's what a, probably a four page rule book. Yeah, yet, no, yet totally. it's <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. I got a better answer than my original answer too now. <laughs> so I just looked up something and I was like, oh yeah. You know what I really don't like? The very first round of King of Tokyo or uh, uh, what's it called? King of Tokyo. Kings of Tokyo. The ones where you're giant monsters fighting one, each yeah. other. King of Tokyo. Yeah. King of Tokyo. Um, because when you're the first player, the very first round. Your attacks are nothing because they go towards the middle and there's nobody in the middle yet. Your hearts are nothing because you're already at 10 hit points, so you can't do anything yet. So the only thing you can roll is some like one to three points kind of thing to try and like get a better score and some energy to maybe buy something. And that's it. And it's like, it's the lame. And then the next person to go actually has like the full move because right. they can, oh, well, actually, I guess they don't have hearts, but they can actually hurt, hurt you and do damage. So the first move sucks. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fair. And oh, sure. as long and oh, and the worst thing is if you don't get any, well, not the worst thing, but I guess if you don't get any claws, then the next person just has the same problem because they just, mm. uh, I don't know, whatever. So, but if you get at least one claw, then you get to go in the middle. You're in there, anyway. right? Yeah. And I say the middle, but I mean Tokyo. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, good call. That was a good pull from your memory banks. Last round, we've done first round, so the last round has a very different feel to it. This is the game is about to wrap up. It's either, and, and you know, I've had experiences where it's the last round and it's so tense, or I've had experiences where it's the last round and it's anticlimactic because like, it's just like a scramble for remaining points or whatever it is. 
So the last round, what makes a good last round? What makes a lousy last round? I guess I kind of gave a bit of an opinion on what I think is a good <laughs> round or a lousy last round. I, I agree with you on the tense part, right? Like you want to go into that last round not being confident who the leader is. You might have a good idea, but there should still be some guesswork there where you still have to figure it out or you have a chance to overtake them or something like that. So I, I like last rounds where, where there's still high stakes, like you're going into it with... Um, no no guarantees basically and uh, like Battlestar Galactica is one I kind of reference as a good one although I know some people might think otherwise but usually if you're going into the last rounds of, of BSG your team is on the verge of winning or losing like one decision or die roll which is the thing that some people don't like will decide if you win or lose the game after this big three-hour epic right so it's it's really like if we play these things in the right order and we draw the appropriate crisis card and and people have the right things in their hand to to offset it we can make this work right or on the other side if you're a, a cylon hopefully revealed by that point you're like oh if this goes poorly we win the game right so everyone's on the edge of their seats waiting to see how it resolves that's that's the last round i like that's the toughest thing though right is the excitement is what some people hate because they don't like the like i've done so well this whole game i want to know that i'm gonna win but if right. you know you're gonna win it's boring you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you actually want that weird random. I'm not, I'm not sure it's too, too close to be super jazzed about it. But if, if you, you know, if you're especially you don't like randomness and you especially don't like catch up mechanics, then it's like, ah, oh, this sucks. You know, yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking of the, you know, the Battlestar Galactica example and War of the Ring actually is guilty of this, too. And I say guilty, not that I think it's a bad thing, but some people would, but it, it can come down to a die roll after four right. hours of gameplay or five hours of gameplay in War of the Rings case. And it comes down to do the fellowship, destroy the ring, roll a die. <laughs> yeah. and, and if they don't, you lose. And if you get, you know, four above, you win, kind of thing. Yeah. Like. yeah and the same with Battlestar Galactica with the, you know, FTL. If you're jump. doing a jump, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is how more often than not that game ends. And and then there's detractors that say, well, why didn't you just roll a D10 at the beginning of the game and save yourself four hours, right? It's like, but it's all, all the drama. The journey. Right, exactly. Well, and in both those games, too, that's not necessarily how it is, how it often ends up. But there's nothing that says, like, it's going to be that way. Right. You could dominate and you could win. You could be like, hey, we, we just jumped all right and the silence sucked and we got to the end and we had lots of, you know, supplies and people left and everything was fine and we won. That sucks, and it's probably not a very good <laughs> right. thing, but it can happen. And then the same thing with the reverse. You can definitely lose before you've come anywhere close to finding the the, col the lost colony or whatever it is. And same with War of the Ring. You can, like, you know, be like, well, I'm going to try for a military victory for the light or whatever, and then you just get demolished by the orcs. You know what I mean? Like, or, well, not that that. Or you can just be like, oh, we, we focused entirely on getting rid of the ring. We slipped in there, and we won, and it was like, oh, like, they didn't even feel like they had a game. Like we just started and it's right <laughs> over. That can happen. It doesn't in both those games. It usually comes down to pretty, oh, you know, a sort of, sort of pretty exciting ending. But I think that's because you have about equal players. I wonder if people playing chess feel the same way. Like, well, we started, you know, we were doing basic moves and then there was some craziness. Or is it always like, mm, nope, and here's where I won. You know, after like a long time playing, my, my plan finally played out and I won and it was fine. Yeah, high-end chess, that's yeah. definitely how it would be. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that the complaint about, you know, randomness deciding a game is a little bit reductive and kind of dismissive of the fact that those games generally have 
mitigations to luck and you know mm-hmm. like trying to sway luck in your direction like both Battlestar Galactica and War of the Ring have elements in which it's not just a simple die roll like yeah. um the fellowship can add tokens in that allow them to like have better odds of being able to destroy the ring and uh with Battlestar Galactica I mean it comes down to like you shouldn't have put yourself in a position where it came down to the last <laughs> FTL jump yeah, for sure. Um, and I think there's there's games that do a better job, um, like points based games. Do there there are some games? I'm thinking specifically of things like dungeon pets and and stuff where you're kind of at the end of your engine building. The the game's wrapping up. You have one final round, but there's some games that do a really good job of still making those things worthwhile. Like you don't want to just you know gather the three resources that'll give you two points and and hope for the best but in dungeon pets like you still get rewarded for all the resources you have at the end of the game and it still makes sense to upgrade your cages in the last turn even though you're not going to be selling any pets but you should still buy and you should still upgrade and all this other stuff because it will still contribute to your end game score so i think some some games do a better job of that than others i've played other games like uh magnate the first city um it is literally the last round is literally just starting to count your end game points. That That is how the game works. It's a game where it's all about the real estate market. And at some point, players will force the local real estate market to crash. And the, the meat of the game is selling your property before that happens. So if you know it's going to be the last round, and there's a little bit of variability there, but you can probably predict it. All you do in the last round is sell everything you own, which you would do anyway after at the end of the game to figure out how many points you have. So it's only, you're basically just doing the end game scoring as, as part of the game mechanics at that point. You know, I, that's one thing that I really don't like is, is games where you, you do actions that build up your strategy and build up sort of like your engine and whatnot. And then in the last round, you're just doing those actions because of that one point here, two points there, because it's one of those games that scores for everything, a point salad kind of game. Like I know Brass, which I think is like the number three game on Board Game Geek. It's like a 15-year-old game, but then it came out a few years ago on Kickstarter again and, and it was really popular again. It's a Martin Wallace game. And I, I like Brass overall, but the last round stinks because the last round is just like doing actions not because you're building your routes or I can't even remember how Brass has played that well. It's been so long. <laughs> but I do remember being really disappointed by the last round of just like, well, I, I guess I'll do this because that's worth two points and I'll do this. Whereas earlier in the game, you're not doing it just for points doing it also because it sets up your next action and then your next action what you will plan on doing several rounds from now or you're blocking someone from being able to do something now is just like it, it felt like picking up garbage very much i so think that. hyperborea might be bad for that too actually when i'm looking around in my game boxes i seem to think that that one is a little bit the same as brass where you're just doing stuff just because there's points there and you might as well do it to get some points yeah i'm trying to remember the end of that that's objective based isn't it like the the end of the game is based after players complete so many objectives or something like that Oh, I shouldn't even, yeah, I haven't played it in so long. I just feel like <laughs> there was some elements where you're just doing stuff at some point. To yeah. get some well, I think a lot of games, there's a lot of games that say once the end game is triggered, everyone gets another turn. And that's what those other turns end up being, right? You're like, yeah. okay, I, I know I don't have another action after this. So I'm just going to, okay, this will get me three points. That will get me two. So, I'll But if it's close, point. isn't that exciting? Isn't that kind of what we were talking about? Like if you're like, I don't know, I, I, I need to inch out every little point I can because it might be the one that took me over the edge, right? But you can see them on the map. So like even if I'm ahead of you, Adam, by three points, we can see that you're going to collect seven and I'm going to collect two. Well, and, then that's you know, just bad. And then it's yeah, just, yeah, you're right, just right. bad. 
it's if, just if it's not a game. little bit of hidden so you don't know exactly how much the other person's going to score and you can't work it out then yeah it's just bad. yeah and in brass and brass you're just watching everyone just grab their points you don't even have to pay attention to each other you're just like collecting your points as you go right yeah you're you're doing your end game scoring <laughs> effectively yeah. is what you're doing right and i think that's a problem that a lot of engine builders have and i think there's a problem on the other side of that where i've heard a common complaint of these engine building type of games where right when you kind of have this cool um, refactored machine going that's doing all the cool things you want it to and generating all the points and actions and materials and so on and so forth the game's done right when you hit your stride with that thing you've been working on for the last two hours you're like end game we're, we're good so it's, it's that careful balance of like do you end it too early or do you end it too late when it's not interesting anymore mm -hmm. you know what's okay let me talk about two different things <laughs> you know what's awful and then they kind of fixed it is the end game of risk right like classic risk because it used to be if you're playing old risk you would just whittle one player out then whittle another player out then get into a two-person war and then it's just a long war until it becomes obvious well one side's gonna win and then it's the slow grind to death until you finally kill the killing blow and then it's dead and it's like all excitement is gone from the game by the time that happens, right? It's yeah. just a terrible, terrible ending of a great game. Then they added the uh, whatever missions, it is, uh, right? missions or whatever, where somebody can win when they just complete their, their secret mission. And that's a much, much better way to end because then it's For like sure. things are still happening. Maybe everybody's not on the board and somebody gets to go, boom, I won. You know, suck it. Whatever. <laughs> oh, my. Well, and and no one would concede in risk either. Like it's a five player game and it's down to the <laughs> final two players. And one has like a hundred pieces on the board and the other yeah. person has two. That yeah. person with two. You see how long you hold it. Because you can still roll. Can exactly. You can have that Rambo, we always called it, who just sits there and rolls six, six, six. And you're like, ah, I have to go another round now. <laughs> right. Yes, it happens. Yeah. It's awful. Another game. That drives me nuts, but for a very different reason, is, uh oh, shoot, now I've lost the name of it. Is it Arkham Horror? I can't remember. The one we played with the big yeah. map where it, it, you basically get a choice of one of two endings. You get to win uh, in the lame way. Okay, one of three endings. You get to win in the lame way, which is like, okay, we did all the things. We closed the portals. We're done. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good job, everybody. Okay. It's so anticlimactic. Or you oh no we lost we didn't and we didn't do it in time and the great old one wakes up and it's unbelievably powerful and so we lose right. yeah. <laughs> and it's like and we you do get to roll a little fight so there's this like sliver of a chance maybe if you've buffed up enough maybe if you've gotten enough artifacts maybe you can win this but no chances are you're not going yeah, to it's really not. favored in the favor of them just destroying you so it's just kind of a fun way to play that out and both of those suck and the only way it would be better is if you did manage you the old one woke up anyway and you did manage to somehow beat them that's the only way that game I, has a good ending i do like and I, I prefer eldritch horror to arkham horror but i do like in that game when when the great old one wakes up it's just so devastating right like it's like hey you can have two more turns but you're going to get absolutely destroyed by it and it's so thematic like lovecraftian is like humans don't matter is, is the whole concept of right. all of that right so it, it it kind of works i think in a lot of ways and i play eldritch horror for the story really like yeah i go into that knowing there's like a 10 percent win rate at best so i think if if you're going into it like a like a story rpg type of thing it's it's less of a concern but yeah there there are outcomes of that particular game that aren't as enjoyable okay so what are what's an example of a 
great last round, a game that just does the last round right. I think a lot of good cooperative games do things right where the the end of the game is the tense part, right? Like even if you think like classic pandemic, like things ramp up in difficulty and and tempo and 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 tension. And usually in the last round of the game, you're you're doing your damnest to like make sure you can find that last cure or or make sure that you know New York doesn't outbreak and, and cause all these cubes to go all around the board. So the, it really, uh, I think the arc of pandemic and a lot of co-op games is is really well designed in that it's tension at the end and you, you feel like you still really good designed games. You still feel like you have agency, but it's a tense, exciting. I want to see how this plays out type of moment. One of the reasons I love co-op games is because it has those moments. Mm -hmm. Adam, do you have All right, one? for me, uh, there's a lot of games that fit this kind of style, so I'm just going to pick the one. But uh, maybe we could name some others that also do this. But so it's it's Game of Thrones has a really great ending because okay, there's okay, there's a couple of factors to it. One, there's two ways to win. There's the way you get to the end. I think it's round ten. I can't even remember. And you ah, uh, you won because you had the most. I don't even remember cities or something. I can't remember what it is. I think it's cities or you win earlier by getting seven cities or whatever the number is it might be, even be six. I can't remember. And that's great because most of the game is about battling and needing to rely on other people. So you need to like, Oh, you know, we, because you have that uh, support uh, element to it where you're like, okay, I, I can't do, win this battle alone, but if you support me, then I can win it. So you get to a point where everyone's like, okay, well don't help him because he's got six <laughs> cities or five and he can take this one and this one right away in his turn. And so you get to a, a, an exciting point where, okay, you've worked together, you've, you know, you've made little alliances, you've done bad things to each other, whatever, but at some point you have to go, and now I have to do it alone because nobody will help me, but I have to get to that point. I either have to sneak it through, which is a great, even though it's super frustrating to everybody else, but it's like, <laughs> hey, nobody really noticed. Boom, I won. <laughs> you know, or you have to fight it through. You have to be like, well, nobody's helping me, but I have enough men that I'm going to slam this and I'm going to take this and I'm going to get my seven cities and win the game before it ends, before the game ends. Or I'm going to hold, which is also nice, where somebody's like, they've got six and we've all got four. You've got to take two away from them before this end of this turn. And so they, they you gotta hold hold on to your cities before and it's exciting and it's a great ending. And I would say probably other games that fit that description, diplomacy is probably the very the same thing. Um, I don't even know. There's probably other games that fit exactly that same thing, but it's the idea where you eventually have you can do alliances for a while, but you eventually have to backstab and then you're gonna have to go it alone sooner or later, and that builds wonderful drama and excitement. Uh, side note to win Game of Thrones, the best type of player is Littlefinger. <laughs> I think my favorite final round game is Clash of Cultures. And the reason I say that is because I like that it's it's got a set number of rounds, but um, except for the final round is a bit unpredictable because at the start of this, I don't remember which round it is, seventh, eighth, whatever, you roll a die. And if you roll a six, this is the final round. Then the next round, if you roll a five or six, okay, now this is the final round. So you don't actually know what the final round is going to be until you've randomly determined that it is and it becomes more and more likely that it's going to be the final round. And then at some point, it is obviously the final round. And at that point, you're just kind of like playing grab them for the victory points. But I really like that sort of predictable or that unpredictable predictability that this is going to probably be the final round. Oh, no, it's not. Okay, one more round. Yeah, so I like that it, too. That's in a bunch of different games, and Oath it, it's a good well. mechanic. Yeah. Which one? Yeah, I really Oath, Oath has that as well. Yeah, I really like that because 
a lot of games that have fixed game length, you you can plan for that, right? Like, I know I'm going into the end phase of this game, whereas games like that, you you can't say for 100% sure that this is going to be the final round. So you, you have to adapt your strategy and your empire and, and the way you're set up to deal with, okay, if this isn't the final round, how am I going to pull through it, right? So it adds that extra um, variability to the strategy that's really fun. And then one more final round I'm going to talk about quickly before we move on, and that's because we're playing it online a little bit more because it's been added as a beta to Board Game Arena, and that's El Grande. And I find its final round interesting because it's absolutely no different in feel to the third round and the sixth round. The final round is the ninth round, and at the end of every third round, you score. And I've more and more realized that the game feels like you're playing three games of El Grande and then combining the scores at the end to see who wins is kind of yep. how it feels because the, each set of rounds almost feels identical you get more and more meeples on the board as the course of the game goes but it's not like you're getting like more powerful cards as the game goes because you might in one game the card that you got in the first round might be the card you get in the ninth round in the next game you know because they're just randomly drawn over the course of the game so it does feel like a whole bunch of knife fights in a phone booth going on at all times and at the end of every third round it kind of feels like you take a breath and right. then you start you kind of reset for the next phase. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's not really like like not really the state if they cleared the board and reset it and like you got your right. power cards back or whatever they're called again, then it would be exactly that like three things. But you know, if I use my thirteen in round one, I don't ever have that for round three. You know what I mean? So you kind of have that. And if I get a bunch of guys in the board, I'm better off than if I have no guys in the board going into round six or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's it's still it's a, a legacy game. True. <laughs> It's, like it's a legacy. legacy it's a three-round legacy game, and you can to combine the scores at the so end. So just a board yeah. game. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, good call. But I, I guess my point being that it's like it has three final rounds to the game. Yeah, three beats or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Right. Exactly. All right. Enough of beats. that. That's the final round Where? of this conversation. That'll start collecting. As always, we're going to move on to game play games that we have played recently. And Adam, I think you had one you wanted to talk about. Did I? Chad, dun, do you dun. have a game you want to talk about? I do. <laughs> Adam, throwing throw. Oh, throw. <laughs> right. That's the one. So, yeah, I've been playing the game Throw Throw Burrito with my kids because my kids like the game Throw Throw Burrito, and it is a terribly silly game. Um, it's an incredibly simple card game. Um, it's kind of based on speed where I have I put my cards down. I, I take the card that I want. You know, I make my pairs or whatever it is, triplets, I think it is. And whatever card I don't want, I discard to the left and I draw from the pile to the right. Now, my discard pile is the pile to the right of the person to my left and their discard pile of whatever. So everybody's discard pile is, is like the next person's draw pile. And if you run out, then you can draw from the middle. So if I'm fast enough that I can get rid of my draw pile before they discard another card, I can draw from the middle. Is this um, a real-time game? Yeah. it's, it's super, oh, okay. Everyone wants to go as fast as they can because you're trying to grab things. And then every now and then, somebody slams down three special cards and there's three different types and they say like burrito battle or burrito <laughs> duel or whatever and they all have little different rules and it's basically like burrito battle i think it is is the person to your left and the person to your right they grab there's these spongy burritos in the middle of the table they grab the burrito and the first person to hit the other person with a the burrito they get a whatever it is like a minus point thing for the end of the game and then you add up all your triplets at the end of the game and minus your minus points for getting hit by burritos throughout the game. And the winner is wins. And That's it's it. yeah. so silly and so fun. And of course the kids <laughs> love it because they're whipping these right. like sponge burritos at each other and they have terrible aim. So it's, it's never just a quick, like boom, whap, 
like well it is when like when one of them says <laughs> basically like i played with my family my wife sitting across from me my two kids on either side and they're like burrito battle and i just grab it whap, hit sarah in the head with a burrito and she's like what what happened I'm like, they call burrito battle nice. um then there's burrito duel where you like put them back to back they take three steps three paces out and then turn and, and throw and that's kind of fun and then there's burrito war where it's just all no matter who except for the person who called it who's the only immune person everyone else has to hit each other with burritos and yeah that sounds it's madness it's fun it's totally like stuff is gonna break in our house because they throw <laughs> these burritos and they'll miss so then they'll you know like literally um it was hilarious my one daughter isla she's uh, i i said burrito battle my my daughter isla grabs a burrito sylvie didn't even reach for a burrito she just slid down in her chair <laughs> under the table and so the <laughs> burrito hit the back of her chair then she reached up over the table tried to grab the burrito and threw it back anyway it was ridiculous and hilarious and she is the one there yeah. you go. it's ridiculous hilarious lots of fun throw throw burrito by the same people who made that game i don't like uh exploding cats exploding kittens yeah. yeah exploding kittens sucks throw her burrito <laughs> awesome much better nice um, since we're talking about family-friendly games, uh, one game that my wife picked up, which I, I was very surprised at this. And like, I, I've had a podcast for five years talking about board games. I've got 300 games in the closet, and she's going to go to Amazon completely without engaging me on the topic whatsoever and pick up a board game. She Anyway, <laughs> one game that she picked up, which actually ended up being a great game, is Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza is the name <laughs> of the game. Uh, so it's a card game. Everyone starts with 12 cards and you flip over face down in front of you, you flip over a card to the middle of the table and say taco. And if it's a picture of a taco, then everyone, including the person who flipped the card, has to put their hand on top of the discard pile in the middle of the table. And whoever does it last gets the cards. So the point of the game is to be out of your deck of cards by, by the end of it. And there's a taco, a cat, a goat, and a cheese and a pizza. Uh, obviously all randomly shuffled. So if you happen to flip the card that corresponds with the word that you're currently saying, and you keep saying the words until you get a match, um, that's that's when you do the hand thing. Except there's also three special cards. There's Gorilla, there's Narwhal, and there's um, Groundhog. So if you flip any of those special cards, you have to do a specific action like Gorilla or Narwhal, and then put your hand on top of the card. So it's a very hectic, yeah, yeah, it's a very hectic, crazy fast-paced game the girls absolutely love it they they specifically ask to play it all the time so definitely a, a game i would recommend those games sound very very similar they they really do yeah it's like they, it's hard hard actions right yeah, yeah. the one we that should you guys do we should coin that uh genre of game cards and chaos <laughs> cards that's, and chaos there you go cards and chaos cards game and chaos. yep nice yeah, i like it work. I can think of a die in chaos, a dice in chaos game. You shush now. I think this is favorite. cards and chaos no. only. <laughs> I'm starting my own genre. It's gonna be dice and chaos. Anyway, I, I think both of your or dice and danger or dice and uh, I don't even know a D, different D word. I'll, I'll send them. I'll source it later. But it was. It's, I can't remember the name of it. it. It's farm animals, but it's spoons. Remember the game spoons, where you would no, just like right. have to like grab the spoon off the table as fast as you possibly can. So this one... Dice and it, Disorder. Dice and Disarray. Perfect. So uh, this one has like six different farm animals that are plushies, like little rubber um, circular ones that you can just grab. They're like a ball shape. And you roll a die and it's got a picture of a each of the farm animals on it. And then whatever the die face is, everyone reaches for it and grabs it. So it's like spoons, but cute and soft. 
something it's, cool. it's not called farm animals but it's a bunch of farm animals anyway Seriously. i haven't played that in years that's not the game i played recently okay <laughs> what's the game sticking with the theme of family games though uh i've been playing more of like the 1970s play with your uncle kind of family games recently for some reason like we've played Ramoli, which is a bizarre combination of rummy and poker and it's a bad implementation of both um, and there's almost no player agency in it whatsoever like the game just directs you on what you should be doing and there's a little bit of poker betting you can implement or you can just you get dealt like 13 cards or whatever you find your five cards in there that are the best poker hand and you all play them down and then whoever gets the ante whoever the best one but you don't even have to like bluff right. or bet or just playing that. war at that point that's yeah. how i learned what poker hands be what was ramoli Maybe. Oh, yeah. so ramoli is a terrible game and but but it can be fun to play if you're playing with people who are enjoying ramoli and then the other one that we played uh, i actually put a, a a tweet out about a picture of it. it's a horse racing game which maybe it's a canadian game and some people from other countries don't recognize it but it's got 12 no from two to 12 like from snake eyes to boxcars number of horses on the track and the six and the seven and the eight don't have as far to go compared to the two and the 12 because they're harder harder to roll and basically you are dealt out cards you take the kings and the aces out of the deck and you deal out people the twos through queens and those are the horses that you're betting on and you just you lose some of your chips at the start based on randomness and then you roll dice for randomness and you have no betting or like there's zero choices to make in this game zero but the board looks cool with the wooden horses. Right. So people on Twitter were like, oh, wow, horse racing game. What's that? that? That looks awesome. I was like, nah, man. That's... You didn't even it, bother naming it. It's Candyland, it. but for adults. It is Candy, <laughs> Candyland for adults. And it's yeah. it, it created an interesting semi-argument uh, with my girlfriend last night because she was talking about how she wanted to play the horse racing game again. I was like, you know, I had fun, but I don't want to play that game all the time. Right? It's like, why? It's fun. I said, yeah, but I mean, like, you don't make any choices. You're going to get bored of it after a while. She's like, games are meant to be fun. I was like, games can be other things. They're not just, it's like, games are fun. And that's the whole point of playing them. I was like, you can, like, you know, make decisions and, like, kind of. Yeah, she's not wrong. She just, you guys have to agree on what's fun. Right. Because you might not find rolling dice and picking up cards at random fun. She might. Well, I also tried to explain to her that not all games are even fun. But (laughs) at that (laughs) point, she's like, that's. Give me one game that's not fun. There are people who play chess who I think they do it just straight for competition and not because it's yeah, but fun. it's it's th- like anything. As soon as you make it your job, it's not fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's in every single game in existence can be not fun. Like if you grind gold in World of Warcraft, it's not fun. But that doesn't mean that World of Warcraft is not fun. Her definition she's using a fun is like it, we're laughing, we're having fun, we're talking, and all that kind of stuff. Which is and I say another reason to play games sometimes. But I anyway, mean, horse racing. Yeah. Yeah, she's not. It doesn't hurt. sound like the game had anything to do with the social situation that was fun, right? No, it really could. Be. That, that's no, why when she but was... it does, right? No, you, you, like even at the same time, like again, we are freaking gamers. This is so another it's not topic. Fun to, uh, <laughs> but to have something to sort of draw people together that uh, attracts your attention, but not too much. Do you know what I mean? Like it isn't like you're not sitting around reading a rule book together or something. But it just it's something to do while socializing and maybe you know maybe having some food or something. That's fun. That's like yeah. it's just not fun to us <laughs> I, well i will say I, I i had an okay time because i still even though i have no decisions to make i'm still cheering for my horse right yeah <laughs> like if it's... i got two sixes and i'm gonna get 50 percent of that pot i'm still cheering for six really hard it seems weird that there's no betting element like isn't betting the whole point of horse racing 
Yeah. Like, I don't know. It seems weird that there's no betting. Well, I think there's probably some house ruled versions of this game that make it more entertaining probably. to play for someone who likes to do more than just kind of watch the game play out. But, um, yeah, the it's... the way you first described it with the horses from two to twelve, and like, is this like a horse version of Can't Stop? Because that would be cool. Would be yeah, great. it it actually is sort of similar, except for you don't get to decide if it stops or not. Just whenever <laughs> right. one of them reaches the end, it stops. Yep. <laughs> anyway, um, that's that, that's the type of game I played recently. I played Welcome to the Moon recently, which is is really that a good. is that like part of the Welcome to dot 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 Rolling Rights? <laughs> Yeah, so there's Welcome To, which is huge, and there's a whole bunch of little expansions for that. You can have different pieces of paper where you're driving ice cream trucks and going trick-or-treating and all other stuff. Lots lots of little variants to that. There's Welcome To Las Vegas, which I heard is just too much. I haven't played it personally, but a lot of people have said is they just tried to do way too many things in that game. And then there's Welcome To The Moon, which is a legacy roll-and-write campaign where it has eight different levels to it, basically, starting from okay, you're leaving Earth, so you have to get the spaceship ready to, okay, you're on the moon, you have to build your colony to, like, you have to deal with quarantines and all this other stuff. And it also has, like, a narrative campaign to it. And it has a narrative campaign that has legacy elements. So you play through the entire campaign, which is eight different games because they have eight different sheets. And it's very much, it, all of them are welcome to based. So you're still drawing three cards or picking from, you know, numbers and actions, just like you do in Welcome To. But the actions can do different things depending on the, on the sheet that you're playing with. And the way that you fill out the numbers can change depending on the sheet that you're playing with. And I was just really impressed that they like they have this core formula. Like if you know how to play Welcome 2, you can play any of these maps with just the slightest rule tweaks to make it like fresh and interesting and really fun to play. They've, they did an amazing job of this. And then when you're, you basically do the campaign, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure as well. So you'll read a little narrative paragraph, and it says, do you want to prioritize this over this? And that decides what your mission cards are, which is the same as like building the neighborhoods a certain size. So those cards will change based on the narrative choices you're making in the game, which really doesn't do much. It just gives you different points. Um, but once you're done playing it eight times, once for each map, there's like a time travel thing, a little bit of a spoiler, and you do them again, but then you get to introduce cards based on your past experiences and, and how many points you got in certain things and stuff like that. Really cool concept. They did an amazing job. And there's so much game packed into this. Like each, each of those rounds or games takes about an hour. So you have at least eight hours times however many times you want to play through through this campaign and it's not like a campaign where you play it once and that's that's the experience you get it's going to be different every single time you play it which is really cool lots lots of neat things they've done in that box i was surprised at the value that they packed into this thing neat. so how much does a box of like welcome to the moon cost then if they're because i would like to get some roll roll and write games but i don't want to spend like 50 bucks on one you know i used to be into roll and write names but now i'm totally into cards and chaos games <laughs> I like Maybe Dice and Disorder. Dice and disarray or Disorder, yeah. <laughs> so here's the other thing. $44. Yeah, that's, that's a good value. That For the amount of game you get in that box, that's actually extremely cheap, in, in my personal opinion. How many people can play Welcome To? Um, this particular version, you can play up to five or six, I believe. Wow, this Let me scroll down. Really great game. Six. Six players. And, Might have and to get this game. Great, and it has a great solo mode as well. Like it, They took the... It's pretty much the same idea as the solo mode in Welcome 2. You draw three cards, you pick one for the number, one for the action, and then the one you discard is the one the bot uses. So you're making active decisions on how many points your your bot opponent is going to get and what actions they get to take and stuff like that. 
it's great. It's very, very well implemented. Well, I think we're about to end the show, guys. Is there any game that you want to play coming up that you want to mention before we do? I, I just got in the mail. I got um, Tiny Epic Dungeons, which was a surprise to me because I was like, did I kickstart this? But I must have kickstarted this. <laughs> And it came, and it looks really neat. It's a dungeon crawler in the tiny epic way. It's tiny, and it comes in a very small box with an expansion, which is a very smaller box, even, which is crazy. And it's got m- models in there, like like plastic minis kind of thing. I'm kind of like, oh, it's exciting. Now, admittedly, I did just get Heroes Quest, and so I'm like, <laughs> uh, do I need another dungeon crawler right now? Probably not, but I'm 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 sort of excited to give it a try because I love the tiny epic games. Like I love them all except for maybe the one that's kind of Zelda. Yeah, I can't remember which one that's called. Quest, maybe Dungeons or something. I think it's maybe. Quest. I can't remember. Oh, but anyway, that one I didn't like, but all the rest of them I like. So I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, I think Hero Quest you'd have a better chance of getting with the kids though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna play Hero Quest with the family. That's actually why I got Hero Quest, but maybe with some gamer friends or maybe podcast you know, or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm currently playing through, and I'm going to continue playing through because it's amazing, Role Player Adventures. It is basically a big, epic narrative campaign game, very much like Legacy of Dragonhold, except whenever you do something in Legacy of Dragonhold, you're like, do you have the skill? Great, you can take, take this narrative option. In Role Player Adventures, it's like, do you want to do this thing? Great, here's a dice placement puzzle you have to solve. So every single combat or like self-check or anything like that, you get this this dice placement puzzle, which is very much like role player, which is the game it's based on. So you pick however many dice you're supposed to roll, and then you have a handful of equipment that allow you to modify those dice. So you'll roll six dice, and you've got to place a a green three and a purple five and so on and so forth. So whatever you draw from the bag and roll probably isn't what you need, but then you have a sword that allows you to change any die to a blue, and you have a shield that allows you to change any any number three dice to a four or a two. Great little dice placement puzzle there's a lot of content in this box as well it's it's an exp- it's like 150 dollars but they give you like probably three times the content of legacy of dragon hole like there there's novels of, of text in this thing so i'm having a blast playing it uh it has a lot of like narrative congruency between between the adventures and stuff like you do something in adventure one that's still bothering you in adventure six type of thing which is great so having a blast with the gap that game and uh looking forward to playing through it well, that sounds cool because I like the idea of role player where you're, you know, using dice to create a role playing character, but to right. actually then go into the role playing is a pretty clever next step. And that's the neat thing: you can play role player, take the character you made, and start this game with the guy that you rolled from there. So the the cards that you draft, like the equipment and the traits and and the numbers you actually came up with for your character, directly feed into the person you start the game with. That is cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited because on Friday I'm playing Gloomhaven again with the Gloomhaven group for the first time and I can't even remember how long, six months? So yeah, looking forward <laughs> right. to getting that out going again. And I'm back to tired, burning eyes kind of feeling after just waking up from sleeping on the couch to record the show. So I'm going to go back to that couch and then go back to slumber. But thank you all for coming out tonight and listening to us. And thank you to Adam and Chad for joining me tonight. Any last <laughs> thoughts, guys? Or is it adios? Adios, I say. Uh, I just say, I'll see you in a fortnight. I'm going to go throw a burrito at Adam.